The Fields of Home by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1953, Chapter 34, our last one. It's called A God's Wonder. Hmm. As we uh, go through this last chapter, Lord, let us be encouraged to uh, to worship you, to remember that all things are from your hand, you, all that's good, all that's uh, hard, and you walk us through life so that we grow and mature. How I thank you, Lord, that it's been a privilege to uh, write I mean, to read this book in Jesus' name. Amen. Uncle Levi didn't care much about working in the fields. He did come out and ride the the new two-row cultivator for a few minutes when Grandfather first brought it home. But until haying, he spent most of his time on the barn addition. The big timbers were too heavy for one man to lift and move into place, so Uncle Levi built himself a derrick and rigged it with ropes and pulleys from the horse fork. The first Saturday after we came, he went to Lewiston with Grandfather. They were gone nearly the whole day, and when they came home, there was a new horse tied to the back of the Democrat wagon. She was a bay, about the same size and type of horse as old Nell. When I looked at her teeth, the pits showed that she was seven years old, just as Nell was. Yellow colt's getting on in years, Uncle Levi told me when I was putting the new mare into the spare box stall. You boys been working him pretty cussed hard this spring, and a little rest wouldn't hurt him none. Do you calculate he'd work for me on the, that derrick the way Thomas says he'd done for you in the woods? I think he would, I said, but there's something Grandfather doesn't know. I always bribe the colt with a piece of apple after he's made a good steady pull. A bribe ain't a bad piece of business in the right place, Uncle Levi said, and winked at me. You'll find a box of chocolates under the wagon seat when you go to fetch your cows. <laughs> The yellow colt did work for Uncle Levi just as well as he had for me. But for a while, his teeth got edgy from eating too many apples. With the derrick and a hand tackle, they could move the heaviest timbers into any position Uncle Levi wanted. First, he laid the sills on the new foundation, set supporting posts in the cellar, and placed the two 16-inch square center struts to carry the weight of the barn floor. Next, he mortised the floor joists into the struts and sills. They weren't hewn square, as the other timbers were, but... After they were all mortised solidly in place, he adzed the rounded tops so that anyone could sight across the whole floor frame without finding a single hump or hollow. All through the winter and during my first summer on the farm, no one but Uncle Levi had come to visit. After we set out the strawberry plant, there was never a Sunday that several carriages weren't driven into the dooryard. Grandfather began wearing his best suit all day Sunday, and he loved to take people from field to field and show them the growing crops the stone walls we had built, and the big pile of blasted tree stumps in the pasture. Berries on the potted plants Uncle Levi had brought began to ripen in early June. Grandfather would watch them all through the week, but he'd seldom pick one. On Sundays, he'd take take the visitors all around the field, let them pick berries to eat, and boast about the plants that were bearing in their first year. (laughs) Late one Sunday afternoon, when we thought all the visitors had gone, Annie and I walked through the strawberry field on our way to the pastures for the cows. The sun was just slipping down behind the pines on Lisbon Ridge. I was holding Annie's hand in mine, and we were watching how the long shadow ran up and down the row as we swung our arms. Heard the rattle of wheels and looked up to see a buggy coming through the gap in the stone wall at the end of the orchard. Grandfather was sitting between a man and woman I had never seen. We heard him tell them, That's my grandson Ralphie, Mary's boy. Him and Annie Little Hale is awful sweet on one another. For just a fraction of a second, Annie's hand loosened on mine. Then it squeezed tighter, and we kept on toward the pasture gate. Of all the visitors who came during the summer, the one Grandfather liked to see best was the one he dreaded most in the spring. 
Every time the man from the cannery came, Grandfather would drop whatever he was doing and go to meet him. They didn't only go to the sweet corn field, but to every field on the place. By haying time, samples of the soil from every field had been tested, and Grandfather knew just what kind of fertilizer would be best for each one and what crop would probably do the best on it. He kept himself, Bill, and me going from daylight to dark, cultivating, hoeing, weeding, spraying potato vines with Paris green, and dusting the corn with powder to keep worms out of the ears. Each time he'd come back from taking the cannery man around, he'd pick up his hoe and sing out, By fire, we'll show him what kind of logs makes wide shingles. Wager you there ain't a cleaner field of sweet corn. Nowhere's this side of the Adriscoggin River. Where haying had been a big, hard job the year before, it was almost like a holiday that summer. Uncle Levi did most of the mowing and raking while the rest of us worked in the row crop fields. Grandfather hardly pitched a fork full of hay, and he never scolded or tried to hurry me once. In the field, Bill and I pitched, Uncle Levi built load, and Grandfather raked scatterings or showed visitors the strawberry field and the tomatoes that were beginning to set on the vines. The yellow colt had become an expert on the tote rope. Uncle Levi would set the big horse work deep in the load, collect quietly, and the old horse would ease three or four hundred pounds of hay smoothly to the mouse. As soon as I jerked the trip line, he'd come back to the rack for a bit of sugar, a piece of biscuit, or whatever Uncle Levi held out for him. Bill and I stowed away in the mouths, and Grandfather tended the bees during the unloading. We left Jacob's field till the last. When all but one load of hay was in the barn, I slid down from the mow to find Millie with her sunbonnet on and a pitchfork in her hands. You don't calculate I'm going to let this haying go by without so much as a hand in it, she asked Uncle Levi. Ralph and I done it all alone last summer, and by gory, we're going to do a piece of it alone this time. You and Bill find something else to do while we finish the haying. Then she laughed and climbed up onto the hay rack with me. Right after haying, we sprinkled nitrate of soda around each tomato plant and were lucky enough to get a rain that dissolved it and soaked it down to the roots. It worked wonders. During the next three months, the vines spread out till it was hard to find a path between them. New tomatoes set by the thousands, and the early fruit swelled like fattening pigs. Grandfather found the first one turning pink on the 20th of July. He shouted so loud that Bill and I heard him way down in the hidden fields, and Millie and Uncle Levi heard him at the buildings. Come a-running! Come a-running, children, he called as, he, as we hurried toward the high field. Come see what I got to show you. By fire, we'll show them what kind of logs makes wide shingles. As we all picked our way carefully through the field, Grandfather pointed out one tomato after another that was turning whitish pink. Gory sakes! Gory sakes alive! He gloated as he turned the thick leaves back and peeked under them. Did ever you see such a tunnel crop of early tomatoes in all the days of your life? Gory, gory sakes alive, and I didn't calculate this old field was good for nothing but Timothy Hay. He stopped suddenly, looked up into my face, and smiled. Calculate we're going to have to call this Ralphie's field, he said. I wanted to laugh and cry at the same time, and my voice was husky when I said, You scared me that time when you told Mr. Squail you were going to plant it back to Timothy. Didn't tell him no such thing, Grandfather chuckled. I recollected, well, Bijah, he asked me two questions to once. One, no call to answer, but one of them was there. On Grandfather's next trip with the butter, he took two market baskets of tomatoes to Lewiston. They brought 12 cents a pound, and he had the money tied up in the corner of his bandana handkerchief when he came home. He called for us to come a-running as he turned old Nell into the driveway and was climbing out over the wheel before he'd, she'd hardly stopped at the doorstone. Take it, Ralphie, take it, he said, as he untied the handkerchief and showed us the money. Four dollars and eighty-four cents for them two little baskets of tomatoes. 
Take it, Ralphie. The first idea of them was yourn, and the first money from them is yourn, too. Gory sakes, gory sakes alive. The crop off that old stony fields are going to fetch a tunnel heap of money. Don't calculate Mary will have to worry now about how she's going to fetch up the children. The tomato crop did make a good profit. We'd taken a good many spring wagon loads off the field before the price dropped below 10 cents a pound. After the first ton, Grandfather came home with a new Studebaker wagon. wagon. From then till the height of the season had passed, Uncle Levi took a load to Lisbon Falls every day to go to the Portland train, and Grandfather took a Democrat wagon to Lewiston. Bill and I did most of the picking while Millie and Annie packed the fruit in bright new boxes. Without being so busy in the tomato field, we had to hire two men and a team of horses for cultivating and hoeing the corn and potatoes. The man from the cannery watched the sweet corn carefully. When it was ready, he brought pickers and wagons and cleaned the whole field in a single day. Every minute that Uncle Levi wasn't working in the hayfield or hauling tomatoes, he and the yellow colt worked on the new addition for the barn. Uncle Levi had built a cradle that reached 40 feet back into the barnyard from the new foundation. On it, he put together the whole gable end for the addition. Each upright girder and cross brace was exactly over the paths Grandfather and I had tramped in this November snow, and the story pole was polishing, polished from handling till it shone like new bronze. There wasn't a nail or spike anywhere, but all the joints were driven tight, bored through with a pair of two-inch auger holes and pinned solid with wooden tree, na tree nails. Overlapping the gable with its lower ends resting at the mortise holes where it would stand on the sills was the center frame. Except for the cross braces, it was built exactly like the gable. The walls lay spread back on either side of the foundation like the open pages of a great book. Each beam upright and cross brace was in place. But the toe or the tree nails were driven only partway home so they could be pulled and the raising done piece by piece. When the price of tomatoes dropped to 50 cents a bushel, we stopped packing them for the Portland and Lewiston markets. From then to apple picking time, we picked twice a week for the cannery, and people from miles around came with bushel baskets to buy them for canning. Most of the apples were in the cellar when, one morning, the whole floor of the valley was sparkling with white frost. Grandfather and I went to the high field right after breakfast to see how badly it had hit the tomatoes. It hadn't touched them at all. The millions of small rocks held enough of the last of the sun's heat to keep the frost away from the ground. Grandfather worked with the bees that forenoon, waited for the mailman, and told them to pass the word for all who wanted to come, to come and help themselves to pickling tomatoes. Before evening, there were a couple of dozen buggies lined up by the wall at the top of Nye's field, and the high field looked as if a Sunday school picket, picnic were being held there. Every woman that had any children had brought them, and they were carrying ripe and green tomatoes away in pails, baskets, tubs, and wash boilers. Grandfather spent most of the afternoon lugging the smaller children around the strawberry field and hunting them the last ripe strawberries. Bill and I mulched the strawberry field deep with marsh grass as soon as the apples were picked. Then we cut and shocked the yellow corn in the hidden field and started the potato digging. All fall, Grandfather had been digging his hands in under the potato vines. Whenever he'd find a big one, he'd shout, Gory sakes! Gory sakes alive! Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you, Ralphie? Best potato soil this side of the Adriscoggin River. Wouldn't be surprised a tunnel might if I, it would fetch a crop of 11, 1,200 bushels. Then he'd straighten up look around the field and say, Gory sakes, Gory sakes, and to think scarcely you're gone, we sought axe to the first tree for the clearing. By fire, I wished father could see it. The potato crop on the wilderness field did a lot better than even grandfather had expected. We had four men to help us dig, and, the, and as the forks opened the hills and raked through the black loam, wide rows of smooth russet brown potatoes stretched the length of the field. 
Before we began hauling them to the cellar, as many men had come to see them as there had been w women and children come for pickling tomatoes. Hundreds of bushels were sold right from the field, and Grandfather would give each neighbor who came a bushel basket and say, Walk about the fields and pick yourselves out a basket full for seed. Don't calculate there's better seed potatoes this side the Adriscoggin River. He had a little brown book that he carried in his pocket, and he'd mark down every bushel that was sold or hauled to the cellar. When the last load was in, we added up the book, and the total was 1,629 bushels. Uncle Levi had been as busy on the barn as Grandfather Bill and I had been in the fields. After every rafter was cut and every joint in the new frame fitted and pegged, he'd taken the clapboards and sheathing off the end of the main barn. Then he had cut the mortises in the old frame to build the tenons of the new side and roof girders. There, by a hub, he told me when he showed me the end mortises and the gables for the 4 by 16 inch ridge pole. There's going to be a ridge pole that cussed yellow hole uh, colt can't jerk out with a horse fork. Then he chuckled and said, great day of judgment. Him and Thomas has trod the same path this year gone, ain't they? Recollect the day we hitched the old critter to the hay rake? He looked down to the foot of the derrick where the yellow colt was standing, resting with his one hip dropped low. Uncle Levi laid his hand on my shoulder, and his voice was sort of hushed when he said, It's a God's wonder. The first week after the potato harvest was as exciting um, as Roundup Week used to be in Colorado. The mailman had passed the word that Grandfather was going to have his barn raising on Saturday, and there wasn't a day all week that three or four men didn't come to see the solid chestnut frame and to say they'd be on hand for the raising. One woman after another drove into the dooryard, offered to help Millie with the cooking, asked what kind of pies she should bring, and said to count her husband in on the raising. We butchered Clarabelle's big spring calf and the fattest hog for the dinner, and apples were taken to the, cider for, the press for cider. Saturday morning was frosty and clear. Grandfather came to the tie-up while Bill and I were milking, paced up and down the runway, then snapped. Stir your stivers! Stir your stivers, Ralphie! It's nigh unto sunup already, and time flies. Gory sakes, gory sakes alive. Ain't been an old-time barn racing here about I don't know when. Ain't many men left that knows how to frame a barn solid and lay down and fetch it up all a-standing. By thunder, I wished Father could be here to see it. Then he locked his thumbs behind his back, walked up and down a few more times with his head bowed, and left the tie-up. We'd hardly finished the chores when the first neighbors drove into the dooryard. By 8 o'clock, a dozen wagons were lined up by the long rows of cordwood along the yard wall, the horses unhitched, and toolboxes unloaded. Three of the strongest teams were picked to do the pulling on the tote rope. The heaviest pulley block was anchored to the peak of the main barn. Ropes were run to the gable point of the new center frame, and pointed irons were driven into the ends of long piked poles. Twenty men were standing ready with pikes and mauls when Grandfather called, Hist! and the horses leaned into their collars. With a squeal of turning pulley wheels, the tackle ropes came taut, and the peak of the 40-foot frame lifted from its cradle. Slowly, slowly, like the turning hand of a clock, the great uprights rose, hinged on the wide tenons at their bases. <clears throat> Men with heavy wooden mauls hammered the timbers to bring the tenons exactly in line with the sill mortises, <clears throat> and those with poles jabbed their pikes into the uprights to steady them. <clears throat> As the frame came straight up, there was a screech of tight, binding dry wood. The great tenons wedged down into their mortises, and the frame stood alone. Grandfather and Uncle Levi each had a crew of men ready at the sidewalls, telling them which timbers to put in place first, and giving each man his own part of the job. The foot-square side beams were lifted into place. Their tenons set into the mortises in the main barn frame, 
and cross braces and center uprights fitted into place. Then the pikemen rocked the center frame back just enough to let the tenons of the side beams and rafter joints slip into their mortises. The two-inch round tree nails were driven, and the 16-foot section of the ridge pole pegged into position. By noon, the framing was all finished, the plank floor laid, and men were putting up scaffolds for the sheathing and roofing. <clears throat> as soon as the floor was laid, Bill and I set up plank tables and benches, and the women brought pots of beans, brown bread, big roasts of veal and pork, a dozen pies, and pitchers of cider. When Millie called, Vic Jules is ready, there were 38 hungry men washed up and ready to eat. Everyone was laughing and joking, and Millie and Annie ran back and forth between the tables and the kitchen, bringing more pitchers of cider, tea, milk, hot johnny cake, and more pie. The first pike's spikes were driven when the three-by-six stud walls were fitted into place between the cross braces. As fast as the section was studded, other men put on a sheathing, and still others followed with the clapboards. While the last shingles and clapboards are being nailed up on in the afternoon, Uncle Levi and some of the men who were the cleverest with tools put up the door track, hung the big rolling door, and fitted the window sash. When the last nail was hammered and the last screw driven, Grandfather climbed to the peak of the new addition and set the story pole for a flagstaff. The sun stood just above the tops of the pines on Lisbon Ridge when the last neighbor drove out of the dooryard and I started for the pasture to get our cows. I'd only reached the barnyard gate when Grandfather called. Wait up, Ralphie, wait a minute, and your old grandpa will walk with you, boy. He slipped his arm under mine as I stood holding the gate open for him and said, leave us go for a walk from about the fields afore night comes on. Calculate I'd like to look down on the buildings from atop the orchard hill. Gory sakes, gory sakes alive, Ralphie never thought I'd live to see the day. We did walk the field in the woods, and there was hardly a rock, a stump, or a tree that didn't have a story connected with it. At sunset, we stood on the granite outcropping that crowned the pasture hill. Hark, Ralphie, Grandfather whispered. The woods is about to talk. They always do come sunset, and I never tire of hearing them. As we stood there listening, the liquid throaty song of a wood thrush came from the hemlocks. A fox barked from somewhere deep in the woods, and a crow taunted back at him from high on the ridge. In a moment or two, a whippoorwill's lonely call rose from the hackmatack thicket near the brook, and Grandfather whispered, Pretty, ain't it, Ralphie? I love you guys. That was a great ending to the whole drama of the story. Uh, tough to get through at times, but what a, a great story of everything coming together as, um, as grandfather and Uncle Levi and Ralph and Millie all labored together as a team. I love you.